electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Right now on Fast, dollar store doldrum. Shares of low-priced retailers tanking today as Dollar General sounds the alarm over demand from its shoppers. Are these stocks telling us the true tale of the American consumer? We'll debate that. Plus, in the clear, talk of a recession has put, been put uh, on the back burner in recent weeks. But is the economy really on steady ground? David Rosenberg isn't so sure. He's here to tell us what has him seeing red flags. And later, move over, Barbenheimer. There's a new blockbuster in town. How Taylor Swift could give the movie business another big boost just when it needs it the most. I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money. We're live at the Nasdaq market site on, on the desk tonight. Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. And we start off with a big warning from Dollar General. Shares plunging after the discount retailer slashed its earnings guidance for the year. The company is seeing slowing sales and rising inventories as its core customer gets pinched. The stock falling to its lowest level in over three years. And it's not the only retailer under pressure. Five Below dropped 6% today after its earnings report. And Dollar Tree, which warned last week about challenges for its consumers, was down another percent. So are the dollar stores telling the true tale of how strong the consumer is or isn't? Guy, what do you think? Well, welcome back, Kay Fine. Oh, thank you. In yeah. 09. Nice to be with you all. Now, now <laughs> Jordan that? and Pippin are back. Remember, she, remember that when she was on? Of course she was, I do. Yeah. It was she, a big was running, push yeah. for her to be president of the United States. Didn't work. Next time. Or right. it was better yeah. for us, though. She's still here. <laughs> I think it's telling the tale without question. Other people say you're just trying to look at it through your bearish lens. I get it. But look at the guidance. Five below third quarter guidance was a disaster. Dollar Gen, this is two consecutive disastrous quarters. The stock has now effectively been cut in half in the last 11 months or so. And what they're telling you is people continue to sort of trade down. And I think it makes sense that Walmart's making an all-time high, given the quarter that we saw them report and given the fact that Walmart wins to all of this. So, yes, I think it's telling to tell the consumer. No, I don't think it's sort of, it's not manifesting itself in the broader market. I happen to think it's just a matter of time. We've heard this many times from Dollar General, right. same sort of story. Consumers are trading down. They're buying more consumables, food, which is lower margin, right. uh, the essentials, basically, instead of the discretionary items. Yep, it's the Walmart story. It's mm-hmm. the Target story right. where their margins weren't as good because they sell higher margin, fewer higher margin items got sold than consumables. So this is the same story again. What's interesting to me is this stock has traded down on this story a few times. <laughs> and you wonder sort of at some point, is it all in? I, I don't own it, but I, I was just looking back at the P.E. history. This is near the bottom of the P.E. multiple trade in the last five years. It should be down for sure. But at some point, and Guy, you would probably have a better feel for this. At some point, I think it won't go down on bad news anymore. So quickly. But they're if, testing it. If we have a, lo- a longer term chart, we're at levels we last saw in the throes of COVID in 2020. March, April of 2020 is the last time the stock, to your point. But visually, it's important to see it. So think about that. Karen makes a good point. At a certain, at a certain level, valuation will take over. And you can only tell a bad story so many times. But this is two consecutive bad quarters. Maybe this is it. I don't know. At least you're at a level now where you can look at it. I think we're at a point that we're, where people are thinking, how many times are they going to tell this bad story? And how, when will we believe them? Mm-hmm. Why should we believe management? There's a credibility issue at this point. 
point two. So I, those are the two things. First of all, um, Karen hit on the multiple, and I would just say she's right about the last five years on a blended because it's traded at 18, 19 times, but the 10-year pre-pandemic multiple is 13 times. So what do you want to put on this thing? Um, and even at 15 times, and I see the street downgrades, the downgrades are coming. So EPS downgrades um, haven't even caught up to these guys, and the multiple is what's happening here. But but I, I do think if you look at the, the new leadership, I think there's a lot of question. I think some of this is not the consumer. I think some of this is dollar gen. Again, you know, this is about market share erosion. This is about questions on leadership. This is about efficiency. They've made a lot of investments in their business. And were those the right ones? So I'm not going to get out here and tell you that the consumer's safe. And I, I feel like everybody here that we've had a lot of evidence of the consumer trading down and the lower end, obviously, under the most pain, but that there's across the board, this is an issue we're going to hear more about. I'm going to give half of this story to Dollar Gen. It's their problem, but they don't trade. They should be trading 17, 18 times. Yeah, and broadening out to the consumer, I think like you started that. I mean, listen, you know, personal incomes are flattening out, right? We've seen that in the data, and definitely in July. And you think about consumer credit up, savings going down, and then you think of the surge in spending that we're seeing. So something's got to give at some point. If you put Dollar Gen and Dollar Tree together over the last few weeks, you say to yourself, in a very sad, you know, manner, like like there's something going on at the very low and consumer, and especially if we stop seeing wages um, go up, it's like, you know, some of this stuff, some of the inflation that we've been talking about for two years now is becoming embedded. And if the wage inflation is not going to be sticky on the really low end, that's going to like paint a really nasty picture, I think, for a low end consumer. And if I'm at the consumer discretionary, like above these guys, I'm starting to get a little bit worried. And especially as we think about, you know, uh, student loan repayments coming back online over the next couple months or so, we know that back to school was kind of disappointing here. So to me, I don't think it paints a great uh, you know, picture for the consumer. And I think you want to start looking up because we know for the last year and a half, Walmart had been the beneficiary of this trade down that we've been talking about. And when the Dollar Tree and the Dollar Gen consumer doesn't have anywhere to go, it might be saying something pretty nasty about the consumer. Can we live in a world, though, where it is truly bifurcated and the higher end consumer is OK? And we're still okay in For the now. trade, and yeah. the lower end consumer will feel the pain. And we know that that's a terrible situation to be in, but that can be isolated in this economy. Can we live in that world? I think so. Uh -huh. I think that that does sort of seem where we are right now, right? When you see, uh, you know, expensive autos um, unable to meet the supply, uh, the demand rather. I mean, there's a lot of evidence of uh, one other thing, though the market being up. The market being up helps that higher end consumer feel better, feel richer, at least on paper. One thing, though, another thing that's hurting the low-end consumer is gas. And if we look at what's happened to oil, I, that's a pretty big move. And so that, and they really feel that. That's a much bigger part of their pocketbook or their spend than for the higher-end consumer. Uh, you, but you've also made a good point, Karen, that, that the adjustment that, that Dollar Gen has made in terms of it, wherever the multiple is, and, and but the, the point is the multiple traded higher than it should uh, over the last three to five years, it traded significantly lower before that. But but we are in a place where you, you really wonder um, what's been priced in here. And, I, and it takes it back to Target. And I know Dan had a view on Target. Again, that, that number, um, they have a clean inventory position. I'll get, you know, so let's talk about Target for a second. I mean, this is a company that's kind of caught somewhere in between. Um, and somewhere when we know what's going on with general merchandise, we know the punishment that the stock has had. We know the margin pressure and we know inflation and, and the dynamics there. So at some point, this is going to 
going to get interesting. I just think we're still in the early innings of getting these kind of warnings from companies that are not just on the lower side. And, and I don't know why you have to run in and get them. I think EPS downgrades are coming for everybody in Staples and, and in discretionary. September 23rd, we're going to learn a Costco report, late, but Costco reports. And that stock is within probably a whisper of an all-time high. Valuation in this environment is stretched without question. They might be winning all this as well, and you're going to find out. So if Costco blows it out on, I think, in a couple, three weeks from now or so, I think that will, again, sort of reinforce what we're hearing from the dollar stores, makes Walmart makes a lot of sense, and then finds Target in this middle where you don't want to be. By the way, I think, please don't at me, I think 70%-ish of Walmart's customers now, $100,000 or more in terms of income. Think about that for a second. Awesome. It's a staggering yeah. number. So. Everybody's moving down. You're the, you, by the way, you're one of those guys who walks around Costco just eating stuff, right? You just stop yeah. No, I mean, they, so you they, say that you can you're go judgmental a, when you say it. Well, you're trying not to be. To I understand that. But why do you think they're out there? You it's can, not like I'm clipping stuff out of M&M okay, bags. So, folks, he is that guy. I just hope you're buying stuff too, man. Anyway, um, for more on the dollar general weakness, let's bring in Loop Capital Markets Managing Director Anthony Chacumba. Anthony, great to have you with us. Um, how much of this is a tell on the consumer at large and how much of this is specifically a dollar gen story? I think it's much more dollar gen story than it is about the consumer at large. I mean, look, I, I've heard a lot of really salient points that you've made. I mean, there are some uh, macroeconomic headwinds, but um, Dollar General hasn't just missed, you know, the last two quarters. It's four out of the last five. It was a management change, and it just doesn't seem like the new gang can shoot straight. So um, let's not make this all about macro. I think there are some Dollar General specific reasons that they've, you know, started to, you know, sort of shoot themselves in the foot. Anthony, absolutely right. And, it's, and the stock has been punished on the back of that. But you listen to what five, that third quarter guidance from five below was a disaster. Dollar Tree, not good as well. There are a few other stores in that same world that are feeling similar pressure. Definitely Dollar Gen is it's self-inflicted to a point, but this seems to be bigger than that, in my opinion. Well, the one other thing, and it's kind of macro-related, but not macro-related, and you talk about five below, it's shrink. And that's hitting everyone, everyone, whether you're talking about a Dollar General, a Dollar Tree, a five below, it's hitting a number of retailers. And that's, you know, and that's something that I don't think is going to get much better anytime soon, because there generally are just not a lot of consequences um, for theft. Yeah, and I would imagine that, you know, when you're talking about and you're, you're hearing the guidance that these consumers at these, you know, lower end stores are trading down, that that underscores the pressure that they are under. And therefore, that is the environment in which shrink and, and some of these thefts happen. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. And, and yeah, I mean, look, one thing that all these retailers are struggling with, whether it is a Dollar General, whether it's a Dollar Tree, a Walmart, a Target, is that mix shift towards consumables. Those are much lower margin relative to discretionary items. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, a struggling consumer, unfortunately, is a consumer who's more likely to go for the five-finger discount. It's Karen. Thanks for being on. So I thought the traffic numbers for Dollar General actually wasn't great. How does that compare? Does that sort of go to your point of that's a Dollar General specific thing because the stores weren't inviting or whatever it was? How does that compare to traffic of Targets and Walmarts? Yeah, 100%. So, look, the, the easiest comp, the best comp for Dollar General is Family Dollar, which is owned by Dollar Tree. Uh, Family Dollar did a nearly 6% comp last quarter, where 
Dollar General had a, a small uh, uh, comp decline and Family Dollar had positive traffic. So a lot of this is very Dollar General specific. Specifically, they have been underinvesting in store labor and it's really starting to bite them right in the keister. So, wow. Anthony, when we um, talk about and, and think about investing in retail, can we think about it remaining bifurcated or does the economy get to a point where those troubles migrate up, up the chain? So, you know, here's the thing. I mean, retail is a perennial stock pickers market. Um, I'll give you another name that just reported really good numbers today, uh, Ollie's Bargain Outlet. And that's also going for a low-income consumer, but they're just executing at a much higher level. Their merchandising has gotten much, much better. And so I don't think it's necessarily a upscale versus downscale because, by the way, there's a lot of pressure right now on high-ticket discretionary uh, purchases. I mean, you saw you know, Best Buy and Williams-Sonoma. Now, in both cases, the numbers were better than expected, maybe better than feared, but in both cases, their comp store sales were down pretty significantly. So I don't think we can just bifurcate at high-end versus low-end. Anthony, thanks for joining us. Anthony Chacumba of Loop Capital. What do you like? I, I've never shopped at Ollie's, by the way. I want to go to Ollie's. I feel like that's a fast money outing. I Ollie's. love bargains. Th- yeah. Anyway, um, I, I think Anthony's pointing out that there are uh, there's a lot of divergence between execution uh, and oper- you know, operational execution and margin and efficiency. Uh, and then there are macro pressures here. I, I, I would just get back to where we are on dollar gen. And I look at J.P. Morgan's note that came out after those numbers. And they took their, their EPS in 23 down to 776. The, st- the street's still at... 10 bucks a share. I think there's a lot that needs to be sorted through here. And that's why I think the entire sector becomes difficult to invest in until we really see uh, both the street and the investor community come around. Karen? Well, I, I do own Walmart. I do own Target and a Target Walmart spread. Um, I feel like they, they Walmart executed the best of the bunch. And so it's not cheap, though. It is not cheap. The reason for the spread is the divergence between the Target multiple, which has really been hit, I think excessively so, and the Walmart multiple. They're just that, that it's just a, too big of a spread. Our next guest warns the end of summer could be a bummer. Mm. The Fed's doves are getting more vocal. Job growth is hitting a brick wall and GDP is doing something it has never done without a recession following close behind. Rosenberg Research founder David Rosenberg joins us now with more on why September could lead into a winter of discontent. David, great to have you with us. It seems like everybody and their brothers have given up uh, the call for a recession. They've gone into the soft landing, no landing campaign. Here you are. You're saying recession is still on the horizon. Why are you so still firm and steadfast in this call? Well, look, you know, it's I've been in this business for 40 years, and I think I've seen it all, close to seeing it all. And, you know, the same consensus that you're talking about was calling for a soft landing uh, all the way into the summer of 2008. uh, And the recession began in December of 07. So uh, I think it's just human nature. You know, you had a nice counter trend rally in the stock market this year, and all of a sudden everybody thinks they have to fit their economic narrative uh, into what the stock market is doing. Um, But the major point I'm going to make is that the recession uh, has been delayed, you could say, but it certainly has not been derailed. And what kept the Energizer Bunny going this year, and that's what I refer to the U.S. consumers, the Energizer Bunny, uh, is that... Well, we had the uh, the excess savings file uh, was real, and everybody seemed to spend all $2.2 trillion. I mean, some of it early on was used to pay down debt, but almost all that money 
uh, was used for spending, and it continued right up until now. Uh, to me, what's really important is the San Fran Fed, and I think that they actually produced the best research, uh, showed that um, the batteries for the Energizer Bunny, in terms of the excess savings being put to work in the economy, expire at the end of September. And we know that uh, we're going to have the impact of the student loan, uh, the debt relief uh, program uh, terming out, staring us in the face. And so all these stimulative measures uh, from the fiscal side subside, but what we haven't seen the full impact yet is what the Fed has done in terms of the economy resetting uh, to this huge increase in interest rates since the beginning of 2022. Those lags still stare us in the face. And you're seeing the strains already, Melissa. I mean, look at where consumer delinquency rates are going. That was one of the big themes. Nobody talked about it uh, on what the retailers are saying. Uh, the retailers are seeing their department store credit card loan uh, delinquency rates are rising inexorably. Uh, the bank-wide data that just came out for the last quarter, we've gone up a percentage point in the past year to 2.8% on delinquency rates on credit cards. Uh, and 20% of the consumption growth in the past year was funded by credit cards over and beyond what the lagged impact of the fiscal stimulus did. So I think we're going to be in for some very challenging times for the 70% chunk of the economy called the consumer. And I think that was one of the telling I think, aspects of what almost every retailer had to say in the past week is the, is the negative guidance. That to me really stood out. Rosie, the bull case and the bulls will say, well, wait a second, the, the U.S. consumer in terms of his or her home had ample time to refinance. Most of them did. So the interest rate move doesn't really have the same effect that it would if it, you know, in a different cycle. Thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that um, th that's a very static, uh, I would say, economists would call it a partial equilibrium look at the economy, uh, that they say that uh, all these homeowners have locked in and they're not going to suffer any debt service impairment. Uh, for one thing, that much is true of the mortgage side, but a lot of the non-mortgage debt. And remember, consumer credit cards roll over almost immediately. Uh, you know, that's over a trillion dollars now of outstandings. Um, that's a um, that's a red flag. So you're right on the mortgages, uh, but there's other forms of consumer loans. But at the same time, the big impact is going to be what interest rates do to business investment. Once again, everybody says, well, look at the corporate sector. They've all termed out their debt, too. Nothing to worry about. No, Ma. They basically termed out their debt. That's not the point. When you raise interest rates 500 basis points in little more than a year, what you've done to the business sector is totally altered the decision to embark on a major capital spending project because you're a CEO or CFO and you're doing the calculation of the, say, the a priori uh, expected return on investment benchmarked against your cost of capital. Well, that cost of capital just changed dramatically. So the impact this is going to have on investment and then on employment uh, and then the impact is going to be on incomes. And that's really where the, where the impact of interest rates, it's not on debt service impairment. The debt service mm -hmm. impairment is going to come from what the interest rates do to investment and employment, and then what that does to cash flows. So all these people that say, oh, don't worry, everybody's locked in, they're not looking at the right element of where the interest rates impact the economy. David, great to speak with you, as always. Appreciate it. David Rosenberg of Rosenberg Research. I think that's an interesting uh, look at debt.
and the argument that consumers are okay because they've got the 3% mortgage and they're locked in. Yeah, and and, and corporates with floating rate debt, too, are, are, are paying a lot more. That's going to hit margins. And, and he's right to talk about the sequencing of this market. I, I just think no one has been able to really make a call on just how this was going to continue to roll out. Uh, I don't think there's any question we haven't begun to see the consumer fight. Um, and, and therefore, it's really just been about where in the market you want to be. It's setting up for a place to really want to own health care, um, which is going to go into this period after having been underappreciated. And, and certainly the, uh, we know what the headwinds are for it right now. So I think it's an interesting time to start adding or building those positions. So defensive. Yeah. Well, it's funny. I mean, here we are. And Tim had a great call into Jackson Hole last week on the broader market. OK. And, I, you know, I, I was saying to you guys earlier today, I, I mean, I, I just wasn't seeing it. I just wasn't seeing it. You think about the leading indicators and all this stuff we're seeing about consumer and consumer credit and everything like that. But the market's not trading off of any of that. And, and so it's now it's like bad economic news or slower. You know what I mean? Like the pace of slower. It seems good for the market. Rates have come in a little bit. I mean, the S&P feels like it wants to take out those July highs and make a run right for the, the January 20. 2022 all-time highs. And so nothing that they throw out this market seems to make any sense. We haven't even had a 10% peak to trough decline that would have, like, I think, got a lot of people more comfortable about the multiple they were paying, given the headwinds, that sort of thing. So to me, it's funny. Like, I, you know, I come into September and I, I need a nice long weekend here because I don't know how well I'm seeing things, but I, I just don't see anything that could take it down. There you go, people. There it is. Wow. Right there. No, I mean, I'm just saying, like, like, think about it. Think about the way we broke out of that 4350 level, okay? And then we ran and then we checked back and now it seems like we're going to take out those highs or whatever. I, I don't know. What's going to do it, Mel? Well, you we, tell me. Are you out of your shorts? Yeah. All your shorts? Yeah. But I, you know, I, I, nah, I mean, most of them, yeah. I mean, like, it's just, it's been a hard trade. You know, even in a month like August, it was down. I mean, we closed the month down, and it didn't feel like it did it the way it came back at the end of this month. So it's just, you know, I mean, it feels like they just want to rip them. All right, coming up, we're taking a deep dive into Broadcom's earnings. That stock on the move. After reporting results, the details from the quarter next, plus two very different market moves. Crude cruising higher as Bitcoin's recent rally seems to fizzle out. The reasons behind that action ahead don't go anywhere. Much more fast money in two. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert for you on Broadcom, the chip company beating on the top and the bottom lines. Christina Partsinevelis joins us with a deep dive into the quarter. Christina. 
Well, it takes a lot to impress investors these days, especially after NVIDIA's earnings beat last week. But chipmaker Broadcom's inline Q4 guidance is failing to impress right now. Shares are down 3.5%. The company does have direct exposure to the artificial intelligence CapEx push with its Ethernet and custom silicon chips. And much of last quarter's demand actually came from hyperscaler customers building out their AI infrastructures. CEO Hawk Tan said on the earnings call underway just now that Q3 networking, which includes that AI business, now encompasses 40% of total semi-revenue. But that's not all of Broadcom's entire business. It's still exposed to other end market segments that are going through what he calls a soft landing, like the wireless business, which he says is stable, and its server storage business, which in Q4 should be down double digits year over year. And if you exclude generative AI out of the equation, Hawk 10 expects semiconductor revenue to actually be flat in Q4. So the call is underway. He just finished saying that he expects the VM acquisition, VMware, I should say, acquisition to close by October. 30th. Shares, though, still down 3.5%, but earlier it closed at a 52-week high. Still an AI darling. Melissa? All right. Christina, thanks. Christina Parts Nevelis. Is it a darling guy? Should be. K-Parts broke it down, but it's, people look at it, $900 stock, it must be expensive. Wrong. It trades at 20 times next year's numbers. It's actually extraordinarily reasonable. The price tag, the sticker stock, scares you, but don't get fooled by that, number one. And it's amazing Market, give it the market, take it the way. All-time high today, it's given the entire thing back. It shouldn't. I mean, this stock is deserved of a higher multiple, but people are not nearly as excited about this stock, which is reasonable, as opposed to NVIDIA, which to me is a little expensive. Yeah, I, I, like the network, excuse me, the momentum in, in cloud is really driving spending and networking, and that's kind of where you're seeing it. Um, the VMware deal is, is accretive, and they also have pointed out that they're still giving back significant amounts of free cash flow to investors. So it's not as if uh, they're, they're in necessarily high investment mode or acquisition mode. So I, I tend to agree. I mean, it's just been, in, there, was, there was no way they were going to, uh, everybody expected this to be a beaten race. And, and this is kind of what they gave. And after the run in the stock, um, it's going to pull back. But I think you're buying the weakness. Yeah. Um, Dan, in, in your market scenario, all these stocks should go higher. Sure. Especially NVIDIA. Well, it's interesting. So what Guy just mentioned, <clears throat> to, to Broadcom is expected to have like high single digits, earnings and sales growth, 75% gross margin company, trades at 20 times next year's earnings, it trades about 10 times sales, okay? Let's flip over to NVIDIA. Expected to have 50% earnings and sales growth, it's got 70% gross margin, they are like the thing that everyone needs for training all these models and this number. You're probably better off, I know this sounds crazy, you're probably better off not buying the value here for the, for the time being and continuing to buy, this is Karen's trade, right? You're buying the thing that has the most exposure. I mean, Broadcom will work too. Broadcom wasn't really working until NVIDIA gave that guidance totally. in late May, yeah. totally. and then it started to I mean, work. It's, it's but, as if it rallied right. that day like NVIDIA. But, but, and, and, and it still trades at a huge discount because of their exposure and, and that sort of thing. So I guess it, like buy the thing that you want to buy rather than the thing that you think is exposed to the thing that it, maybe it is and maybe it isn't. But this doesn't mean that you would actually buy it. I'm not buying it. been short. Yeah. I mean, listen, I, I'm also trading too, right? So I'm trying to be tactical with some of this sort of stuff, and I kind of got bailed out by that sell-off on last Friday with the NVIDIA thing because I kind of had a trade on before that and it worked out okay, but I'm out and I'm out of the Tesla thing because it seems like if we continue to go higher here, it's going to go into mania mode. It's going to feel like late 1999, in my opinion, and that feels like death rattle sort of stuff. So you better watch your, you know what, as we get in towards, you know, Q4 or whatever. Keister, Keister maybe is a word that's been yeah. used. Sorry. Anthony said it Anthony, before. Yeah, he, he used Keister. Oh, he I heard it. Bite Anthony was, was straight fire there. Five finger discount. Bite in the Keister. 
Keister. Keister. Yeah. Keister. Are you worried about NVIDIA? Uh, I did sell some NVIDIA. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, part of the, I, I do really believe in the story, and we talk about all the time, the picks and shovel of the story, but I also thought that, I mean, that bar was super high, super high, and yet they jumped over it pretty nicely, as we thought they would, though. So I think that now the bar is even higher, I mean, their numbers are higher, but also the expectation is higher. So I just felt like I will have a chance to replace it lower. All right. Coming up, we are watching more After Hours action and shares of Dell, MongoDB, and PagerDuty. The headlines out of the quarters next and crude and crypto heading in opposite directions today. So what had oil thriving and Bitcoin diving? Mm. We'll lay out the trades on both. You're watching Fast Money live from the Nasdaq market site in Times Square. Back right after this. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. Writer's block? Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. Welcome back to Fast Money. The Dow and S&P closing out August by breaking four-day winning streaks. Both indices unable to hold on to early gains. The Nasdaq managing to eke out a small gain. And though it is up eight of the last nine sessions, it still posted its worst month of the year, down over 2%. After hours, Dell, MongoDB, and PagerDuty all reporting beats on the top and the bottom lines. Shares of Dell are up by about 8%. Crude oil, meantime, getting a bump today. WTI jumping more than 2% on pace for its best week since April, turning in its third straight positive month. And Bitcoin dropping again today, erasing nearly all of its gains from Tuesday's grayscale win over the SEC. Um, let's trade. The, Karen, what's your take here on you were in? Were you in GBTC? No, but I just I was amused by it. <laughs> yes, you were amused by GBTC. Yeah, I, I mean, I thought that is good news. Right. I don't know how it gets from here to the finish line, but I do think there's that there's still a, a fairly large discount there. Mm-hmm. So I kind of like that trade. Yeah. Oil? Well, I, I like oil. There's certainly some newsworthy uh, dynamics with Saudi Arabia, whether they perpetuate these cuts that caught people off guard. You know, uh, somehow we're still listening to Russia at the table there and their role here, which is absurd. Um, and and I, I, you know, energy companies are not the underlying oil. Um, and, and again, energy companies are trading as if they're companies that you are investing in because they're balance sheet and they've been able to repair. And, and $60 to $80 oil, they're fine. All right. Namaste, hmm? right where you are. We are stretching into Lulu earnings. That oh. company also out with results this afternoon. The numbers from the quarter straight ahead. But first, pot stocks lighting up for a second day after the Department of Health made a game-changing recommendation on marijuana. Our next guest says it's about damn time. That's a quote, not my word. <laughs> the impact on the entire cannabis industry next. Fast Money's back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. Pot stocks burning up again today after U.S. health officials recommended that cannabis be reassigned to the much less restrictive Schedule 3 drug category from Schedule 1, where it's right now. Uh, the news could be a game changer for the industry, which has taken a serious hit over the past two years as federal efforts to legalize the drug has stalled. Here to weigh in on the prospects of rescheduling is George Arcos, the CEO of Verino. The company operates cannabis production and retail facilities in 13 states. George, great to have you with us. Thank you for having me today. It's a pleasure. Um, your stock has moved 
I mean, just an, an astronomical move in just the past two days. Tim was telling me that it's up by, by about 40 percent or so in just the past two days. Have you calculated what this means to revenues, to, to profits, um, if this were to happen? So if it were to happen, it could be monumental for our company and the industry as a whole. Um, if only one thing happens, the 280 tax structure goes away, it is a massive benefit to the bottom line of our company and companies like ours. So we're very excited for what just happened. We have been patiently waiting for this moment and we're very excited. So what is the actual impact? I mean, have you done that calculation or no? It's in excess of 100 million to our bottom line. I mean, oh, for, wow. for, it's, a, it's a big number. Very significant. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. And I think there's still a lot of work to be done. And there's still a lot of questions about whether this would be just the medical market that would get this benefit on the tax side. The adult market is really the growing market. Can you talk about just the size of the market? I think there's misperception about cannabis, how the addressable market continues to grow um, state by state, even if Washington has is, is been disappointing, state by state, including, you know, arguably red states like Ohio. So how are you gauging that and building your business? So regardless of what happens on the federal side, our goal has always been the same, build one of the best companies in the industry. You know, we've overcome so many obstacles along the way that for us, this is just an opportunity for others to see our company and how strong we are. The path will continue to be the same. We will not change our business model, although this will make us, if everything goes well here, significantly more profitable on the bottom line. But we have big states on the horizon that could switch from medical to adult use, Florida, Ohio, Pennsylvania. And there's still so many more states that need to you know, enact medical programs, which will then transition to adult use. So the growth is significant, and this only further helps our company and others like ours, as well as social equity entrepreneurs that are entering the space. You know, This could provide them banking and an opportunity to be successful. So it's not only exciting for us, but exciting for so many, for so many people. So, hey, George, you said that you're being um, really patient. Um, we just had a map up there showing where you guys have a footprint there. What are some markets that I think investors should look at that, that would be really exciting you know, to move into? Tim just mentioned a state like Ohio. It's a big state. It's a big red state. Is, is it red-blue? Is that th this issue? Or you know, state by state? What, what, what should investors be focused on if a company like yours were to move in these states? This is like go time. So, I mean, the big movements for us are from medical to adult use. I mean, if you look at what happened this year, Connecticut, Maryland, big movements for our company. Last year, we had New Jersey. If we're looking at the horizon, states that we're in currently that are anticipating some adult use transitions, you know, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Florida, massive populations. You know, we have really good footprints in these different states. And for us, it's a massive amount of growth. I mean, if you look at Florida alone, 20 plus million people, huge tourism population. It is a massive driver of our business. It will be if it transitions to adult use. And we're excited about it. I mean, we have more importantly, one of the best teams in the industry. We have a platform and we have the experience to be able to make this happen. George, what do you think the odds are of this actually happening, the rescheduling? I think it's a very high likelihood. I think the DEA should act upon this quickly. Um, the recommendation has been made, and I think we're going to anticipate uh, very positive news here in the near future. George, great to speak with you. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Have a great day. George Arcos. Um, Tim, you had mentioned this would be huge for the stocks. We've already seen big moves. So if this actually happened, have the moves taken place? 
So, uh, first of all, I'm long Verano in my cannabis ETF. And, and, you know, my temptation after a move of 40% in two days across the sector, by the way, um, is one we've seen this before. But, but what, I, what I think is very important is in the past when we've been you know, betting on Washington, which as investors you should never do, um, it's been about speculation about a political process that's required in Congress. It's very complicated. This is about executive order. Um, this is about an FDA that was basically put to work. And when the FDA comes forward and talks about the science and says no longer a Schedule One, that's a totally different thing than we've ever had. And I, I do think when I consider the political cycle we're in, when folks that are appointed by Biden are the ones making these decisions, um, I think that has something to do. I'm not saying it's a political process. I'm saying the FDA in our country has a lot of authority and a lot of respect. Uh, that's what's different about this. But look, it's not happening overnight, even though the timeline for this could be a lot faster than banking and some of the other things. Federalization, this is not about a national uh, federalization of cannabis. This is about making these companies more profitable. And there's still a lot of debate whether this is around just the medical side of the business or the adult side. And I don't think anybody knows, but the implication is that the states where it's legal on an adult side, and if they move to Schedule 3 and rescheduled there, the implication right now by the industry and the way it traded is that the adult market would be included. So given the move that they've had already, are you better off waiting and buying it higher if it actually does happen? It's a good question, because um, if you look at the charts on a handful of these companies, we just got through second quarter earnings, which are, you know, eh. um, and balance sheets are a big thing. A handful of these companies, two of the biggest ones, are back to where they were only six weeks ago. Um, so if you think about the move lower and the 40 percent, we all do this math on the way down. It's you can. Anyway, um, I think that's right. Um, I, I think there's still a wall of capital that's yet to invest in the cannabis space, and I still think there's a lot to go here. All right. Coming up, Taylor Swift entering her box office era. Is this the love story movie theater sucks needed, or do they need to calm down? The enchanted details <laughs> next. But first, we've got the after-hours action. Lululemon shares are up by about 1.5% after the company's earnings report. How did this quarter align with Wall Street expectations? Oh, that was a, that was a good oh, one. That was speaking <laughs> rate. Full reports next. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of Lululemon. They are higher right now by 1.4% after reporting a beat on the top and the bottom lines. Courtney Reagan joins us more on the quarter. Court. I'm Melissa. So another mostly better than expected report from Lululemon. Comparable sales may be the one slight miss, growing 11%. The street was looking for growth of just over 12%. The retailer's forecasted range for the third quarter for both revenue and profit above expectations. Gross margin of 58.8%. That beat estimates to an operating margin of 21.7% pretty impressive in retail these days. Revenues in North America grew 11 percent. International grew 52 percent. Greater China alone is a piece of international up 61 percent. And on the earnings call, CEO Calvin McDonald said there was really strength across the business with double digit sales growth across women's, men's and accessories. McDonald says strong momentum is continuing into the third quarter as well. So a lot to like in this report. Melissa, it has been a standout for some time and doesn't look like it's uh, turning around anytime soon to do anything but that. Yep. Courtney, thank you. Thanks. Um, Lululemon, you had been in it once. You got rid of it when they had the so, big inventory problem. Right? I think I know before that. Before that. But didn't get back in. I was hoping it would trade down lower. I, I mean, this is a, the outlook is really what's important here. And so that's, this is something different, right? Something, a different consumer. Good for them. And I got to think they feel pretty confident. He said this, the quarter is going well. I just, I just can't get back in with this multiple up here. It's a fantastic company. It deserves a premium. Does it deserve 38 times? Mm. 
I, not, it's not for me. Too rich. Tim doesn't think so. You don't think so? No. I'm, I'm short at 375 a couple weeks ago, and, and I don't think the multiple makes sense. Uh, we, we knew they were going to be. That's all they do is be. Um, we know international is growing. I know China's an important market. That's not the story. It's about the U.S. Uh, it's getting more competitive. They've had a major pull forward. Uh, I'm a little concerned that they're moving into new segments. Um, but but we're, we're not here to tell anybody it's a broken company. I'm not. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you that I, I think their ability to grow as fast as they have in the U.S., um, their best days for the near term are behind us. And this is, this, is a, this is a 16 quarter story of what this company has done. And the stock has held, it's right near the top of its range. Meantime, investors taking a huge bite out of Chewy today. The pet retailer closed, closing on its second worst day on record after it reported an unexpected loss last night. But the options market is betting that traders who expect more losses are barking up at the wrong tree. <laughs> 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 that you find funny? Yeah, I do. I do. Okay. Mike. So, yeah, we saw it trade about five times its average daily options uh, volume. Calls did outpace puts. We saw a lot of short-dated call buying, some of it expiring tomorrow. The most active calls that expire at the end of next week were the 24-strike calls. Overall, we saw more than 2,600 of those trade for under 80 cents a contract. That included an institutional block purchase of about 900 contracts. The buyer paid 70 cents a contract for those. That's risking about 3% of the current stock price, betting that the stock could take a bounce. And I would point out that it's possible this could be a stock replacement strategy. Somebody who has decided to blow out of their equity and in case it bounces, buying those calls. Mm. Dan? Tough one here, man. I mean, look, this is one we all learned, like the pull forward people spend on their pets and, and the like here. And the stock acts so poorly. And again, the company is swinging to a loss here. And the revenue growth is slowing down a little bit. But it's still pretty decent, decent balance sheet here. It just seems like maybe there's kind of a, a little more to go. And then you take a shot on the is chewy trade here. trade down also within pets? I asked you as a pet owner. I'm not I mean, you're trading no, down. We got Dodger. We got Tom. <laughs> we got the other one, Tigger. You know the what I mean? There's no, there's no trade down. I mean, we're, we're these guys. Dodger and Tigger. It, those are straight out of like the textbook in terms yeah. of pets. I mean, oh yeah, Tigger. Yeah, Tigger got Tigger, me. I Tigger's Tigger a got me a ten out of ten. Remember that Room Raider thing? Remember we were doing oh, the show yeah. back in there? Yeah. Remember one day he was doing this little yeah. thing in the in the window? Adorbs. Yeah. No, no, we're, we're not trading down. All right, uh, Mike. Thank you for more options action. Be sure to tune into the full show tomorrow, five thirty p.m. Eastern time. Coming up, lights, camera, Taylor. The Eras Tour coming to the big screen near you, or Swifties, just the tailwind the movie industry needs here. We'll bring you that trade and more when Fast Money returns. Welcome to the Eras Tour. Welcome back to Fast Money. It's been anything but a cool summer for Taylor Swift, seen here performing on the just-wrapped North American leg of her era's tour. And now the sold-out stadium tour is headed to the silver screen. Could this groundbreaking live show become the blockbuster that saves the box office? Julia Borson joins us now with a look. Julia. Well, Melissa, it certainly should give it a boost. Taylor Swift is delivering theaters a much-needed fall boost after many studios have pushed some of their big-budget films from the fall till next year because of the lack of actor promotion due to the Screen Actors Guild strike. Now, Swift's record-breaking era's tour, all two hours and 45 minutes of it, will be available for fans for a lot less than the cost of a concert ticket. Movie tickets for this movie are going to be priced at $19.89 for adults. Get it? 1989. 
All the major theater chains will run the movie for four weekends. Regal, Cinemark, and IMAX were all up higher on today's news. I guess AMC turned lower, but they're getting a boost as Swift appeals not only to the three million fans that attended the U.S. leg of her tour, but also all the others who are fans and could not afford to go. Now, Swift's concert documentary is set to launch October 13th. That's the same day as The Exorcist Believer from CNBC's sister company Universal Pictures and Blumhouse was scheduled to launch, but they just pushed that movie up by a week. So The Exorcist is now going to be launching October 6th. The box office overall is still lagging pre-pandemic levels, and it could really use another cultural moment to boost ticket sales into the end of the year. And if Taylor Swift can't deliver a cultural moment, I don't know who can, Melissa. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> Julia, thank you. Julia Borston. Were you just saying it's brilliant? It's brilliant. Right. brilliant. Well, think about this. Okay, so, so Julia just told us three million Americans went and saw the show and they played through the nose for it, right? And then she's going to do this. It's going to be only in theaters. And then they're going to release it on video. And then they're going to release it as an album. I mean, like, you just think about the cadence of it. It's pretty genius. And then the, uh, the kids' price, 13.13. That's what it's going to cost. Do you know, you know why 13? No. It's a big Swifty number. No, no, 13 is like the lost number. On the 1989, the 13, 13. First album went gold in 13 weeks. 1989. You know what that refers to. I don't. I didn't know until five minutes ago, but now I know. I'm good now. It's her but, age. Yeah. Right. Over her birth year. Yeah. yeah. It, I agree, Dad. It's brilliant. Girl boss, you should get her on your pod, how she does it. Okay. Uh, okay, we'll reach out to her. Yeah, have your You don't have yeah. to. She's <laughs> watching right now. Just actually, come on. Huge <laughs> fan of the show. No, but it's brilliant. I mean, to take something that's already been, White already hot. happened, like right? Thing. And to just, and to just. At a time when there's no new content it, coming to movie theaters. Yeah. Right. Um, it's brilliant, brilliant. I mean, that's the, that is Taylor's is she superpower. Is though, with that's the writers and actors by doing this? Oh. I, I, she's standing with right? the bank. Well, no, think I mean, about this. No, she's keeping, she could she's be keeping theaters in business. For yes. them later yeah. on. By the way, note how AMC didn't rally through the roof yeah. on this yes. as it should have. And that's because they've been too busy jamming their investors and diluting them and doing reverse share splits. And, you know, the stock's gone from 44 to 12 in the last three weeks. How's that taste? I think this is the rally. Where would have been without this? I don't know. You know, we can't, there's not enough time to talk about what's going on there. So I won't. Multi-year low. Multi-year low. Up next, final trades. Final trade time, Tim. (sighs) Almost forgot it. Lulu, uh, I am short. (laughs) That didn't happen tonight. It might happen soon. Karen. Yes. Um, I had to take some money off the table, but you can do it a different way. Sell some out-of-the-money NVIDIA calls. Dan Nathan. Cool away right there. Yeah, kind of. Um, That's tomorrow. Chewy. Karen, you have like a three-day rule. I do. You get yes. a little more to the downside, and then you stop it with a 20 to the downside. That's a nasty level. You want to own it above 20. Hmm. We're breaking news here on Fast Money Why? in the break. Apparently, big shakeup in the Met front office. Now, I know Stevie Cohen's a big fan, so it's, he obviously didn't well, call the you. The idea here is that there probably should be one in the Yankees' front office, but we'll leave that. Except we like stability. Devin Energy, yeah. Mel, back to Good you. Good luck with that. Thank you for watching Fast Money. We'll see you back here tomorrow night for more Fast. Meantime, a special series, Mad Money, Back to School, starts right now.
All opinions expressed by the Fast Money participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Fast Money participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. 